You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Continuing Education Platform. More specifically, the Level 1 course, Introductory Concussion Management for Healthcare Professionals. This course dives into the pathophysiology of acute concussion and covers all the things that happen inside the brain immediately upon impact and during the days and weeks that follow. We dive into metabolic dysregulation, blood flow impairments, autonomic nervous system dysfunctions, and heart rate variability, and much more. This course also examines the biomechanics of injury, looking at subconcussive impacts, as well as concussions themselves. We explore the research around concussion prevention protocols, and in particular take a really close look at neck strengthening protocols to examine the scientific evidence in support, or potentially against these programs. In the final module, we take a very close look at chronic traumatic encephalopathy, otherwise known as CTE. This is the long-term neurodegenerative disease that's thought to be attributed to concussions or repetitive head trauma. And we take a very in-depth look at the evidence uh, around this, and we try to separate media hype from the actual scientific literature. This allows you as a healthcare professional to be able to answer your patient's questions more clearly and appropriately with the best evidence in mind. This course is meant for healthcare professionals, but is no means excluded to healthcare professionals. We actually made this course open to anyone. Although the majority of people who are going to be interested in taking it are going to be healthcare professionals, and we do discuss things at a very, very high level for healthcare professionals, but we also know that there's a lot of people who are seeking information for themselves personally or for their family members or loved ones who currently have concussions and just want to learn more about the topic. By all means, you are also welcome to take this course. So please click the link below in the show notes for the level one course. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 65. First of all, today is Rowan's Law Day. And on Rowan's Law Day, we wear purple. Uh, Rowan Stringer was a high school rugby player from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, who at 17 suffered from three concussions in the span of less than one week, the final of which resulted in her death. Uh, The coroner's inquest revealed that Rowan had died of a preventable condition known as second impact syndrome. Uh, For those that are unaware, second impact syndrome is a potentially permanent or fatal uh, uh, brain damage that results from repeated concussions in a very short period of time. Um, For those of you that are familiar with this podcast and have heard me talk about uh, the pathophysiology of concussion and what happens inside the brain, um, I will explain second impact syndrome and you know a basic explanation of how that actually occurs. Um, so as you remember from previous episodes, and if you don't, you can always go back and watch some of our other videos or our other podcasts to uh, kind of get the full scope of this. But 
when a concussion happens, it creates an energy deficit within the cells of the brain uh, for a period of time. It also creates impairment in blood flow to the brain based on disruption of the autonomic nervous system. So these vascular changes can happen as well and it can result in kind of low oxygen levels. This is after a concussion, after one concussion. If you recover from that one concussion sufficiently and you get hit again, well, the, the current evidence shows that you don't really have too much of a cumulative effect of that because your levels got back up to where they should have been normally. If, however, you're still in that low state and you get hit again, you can get this compounding effect where it can result in acute edema of the brain, swelling, and, if, and uh, in some cases, death of the individual. And this is known as second impact syndrome. In the event that it doesn't result in death, it can result in permanent impairment or at least a very, very prolonged recovery because you've now created an additive effect of that. So... Um, the the whole purpose of Rowan's law um, is to it's similar to the Zachary Lysted law in the United States, where it's to encourage people to recognize the signs and symptoms of, of concussion. It puts a little bit more structure on sports organizations and schools to have proper concussion protocols in place uh, in terms of uh, training for their staff and also return to play uh, and return to school uh, measures that are in place. Currently in, in Canada, Ontario is the only province um, to do this. Um, the problem with most concussion protocols is that they rely on symptoms in order to make uh, a determination of return to sport. This is kind of when healthcare professionals may estimate when you're better, right? And a lot of times people make this decision on their own. They don't even consult with a healthcare professional. They just say, well, I'm feeling pretty good. I think I'm going to go back and play my sport. The big problem though and what you have to understand is that the symptoms of concussion, meaning how you feel, don't reflect the recovery of the brain. And in fact, in Rowan's case, um, it was reported that she had talked to her teammates and said, no, I'm feeling better now. I think I'm good. I'm going to play. But she didn't tell her parents. Her coaches didn't know. She didn't seek any type of medical attention. and. Um, but she was feeling fine and so didn't think that she really needed to. And um, unfortunately, that final game in that hit, she wasn't able to um, to manage it. So uh, it ultimately resulted in her death. So this tragic case now, her parents have taken it to the next step in trying to make sure that it never happens again. And so over the past, I don't know, five or six years, they've been working on this and it came to a head a couple of years ago in the, with the introduction of Rowan's Law. And today, is Rowan's Law Day, which is part of that. Um, so it's designed for schools, sports clubs, parents, athletes, encouraged to learn about and discuss concussion awareness. The campaign is hit, stop, sit. So if you get hit and you think that you may have a concussion, you should pull yourself out from that game, tell a coach, tell a teammate, tell a trainer, and you should not go back so the sit is you should not go back into that particular game and you should seek medical attention. But medical attention is not created equally. Unfortunately, concussion is not something that is covered in medical schools or other healthcare curriculums. So this means that the majority of healthcare professionals that you may come in contact with have never received any type of formal concussion education.
Um, so something to kind of think about, right, is most of the time you just think, well, you had a concussion, you should go to the doctor, right? And oftentimes the emergency department is the first place that people go. Um, it's important sometimes to go to the emergency department because their job is to make sure that you don't have something more serious than a concussion. Concussion by itself is not necessarily considered a serious injury. The serious consequences of concussion come from the improper management of that injury. But also because it is a brain injury, you have to be concerned about other things that may be going on such as a bleed or swelling in the brain or a skull fracture or things like that. And that's really what the emergency department most cares about. Their job is to make sure that you're not going to die there today. They want to make sure that, okay, skull's not fractured, uh, you're not having any red flags, you're not having any signs of deterioration. Uh, they may do a scan to try and see if there's any bleeding or anything like that. Uh, they may choose not to based on your symptom presentation. Uh, and in fact, in most cases, you probably shouldn't do a scan because there, it doesn't um, warrant the you know, dose of radiation that you may get from that. So even though the emergency department is where many people end up going, I wouldn't necessarily be taking the advice for your you know, symptom management and your concussion management from the ER because historically they're not the best equipped in order to like manage concussions. Their job is to make sure, okay, we've ruled out red flags, this person is not, you know, doesn't have anything more serious than a concussion injury and so they'll usually give you some kind of half-assed follow-up instructions and tell you to you know follow up with your family doctor which is possibly the next step um, the ER uh, I'm just going through my notes here the um, oh, we're on to the next page um, so according to a 2012 study done at the University of Toronto, the majority of Canadian medical schools did not have concussion on the curriculum at all. The average time spent for those who did have it on the curriculum was only about 30 minutes. And that's in the entire four years of medical school. So most schools didn't have it. Those who did only had about 30 minutes. In 2018, there was an updated study on this and it found that now medical schools on average had about two and a half hours. So an improvement but two and a half hours on something as complex as concussion is not enough to make anybody a concussion expert by any means. Just to put that in perspective, the complete concussion management practitioner training course is 40 hours long and it's done over a period of nine weeks. Um, that's essentially like an entire university course dedicated specifically just to concussion and I think that provides information as to where we are now but then every two years we make all of our clinics undergo recertification training because things get updated things change because we're still learning this and we're learning it at such a rapid rate so we shouldn't be surprised then given the low amount of education in in medical schools that a study by James Carson in 2016 found that roughly 60 percent Roughly 60% of ER physicians, emergency room physicians in Canada, were not even aware that concussion guidelines existed. And by this time, this is 2016, by this time, there had been four international consensus statements published. The first one being in 2001. So 2001, 2004, 2008, 2016. So four international consensus statements done at this point in time. And... 
60% of ER physicians were not even aware that there was any type of guidelines on concussion whatsoever. So obviously they're not providing the evidence-based recommendations to their patients. So what are they providing? Um, to you know, flip that around, in that same study, they looked at sport medicine physicians and found that only 3% were unaware of guidelines. So you have 97% on the sports medicine side that are aware of the guidelines. So that's just the discrepancy in the healthcare, right? ER physician is not concerned with the management of concussion. They're concerned with things that may kill you right now. And concussion is not one of them. So it's lower on their list, right? Their concern is hemorrhage and swelling and skull fracture. So that's what you're in the ER for. You're trying to just rule that out. But in terms of taking their management advice, it's usually not going to be accurate. So you should be following up after, right? And oftentimes people will go to their family physicians. Um, even your family physician may not be the right place to go though. A chart review of Canadian family physicians found that almost half of the time concussed children were returned to school or sport to early. Uh, 2014 study similarly found that only 37% of physicians were able to correctly apply the proper return to play guidelines. So when it comes to taking return to play advice, sometimes even the family physician isn't the right place to go. You need somebody who has specialized training in concussions specifically. So getting back to my first point, Symptoms are often not enough to determine recovery. Secondly, most physicians are not up to speed, or most healthcare professionals in general, I shouldn't just single that out, are not up to speed when it comes to proper concussion management. And much of the time, they are making decisions based on self-reported symptoms. So it's kind of this catch-22 is that symptoms don't reflect recovery of the brain. Recovery of the brain is the most important thing in order to return to play so that you're out of that vulnerable state and most healthcare professionals are simply relying on symptoms to make their return to play decisions because they're not really sure of what they should be really doing. So what can we do? Well, the best thing you can do is have a comprehensive baseline test done at the start of each season. So I've talked about this topic as well. Comprehensive baseline test is things where we test your balance, reaction time, memory, concentration. We do a whole bunch of stuff. And if you're over a certain age, we'll also test your neurocognitive function based on some computerized testing. Um, that's only for certain age groups though. And the whole purpose of this is that, so after your symptoms go away, and we wanna find out if you've recovered functionally, we can test you on all these things to try and see, is your balance recovered, is your reaction time recovered, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're not just relying on, on your you know, self-reported symptoms and how you feel, because we know that doesn't mean anything, but we're relying a little bit more on functional uh, things that may give us a better indication of brain recovery. Um, but what if you didn't get one? Right? What if you don't have one? A lot of patients we see don't yet have this done, uh, or maybe they've only done a neurocognitive test, which is found to be insufficient, so you know it may not be the most reliable thing. Um, so what do you do? You may not be totally out of luck. Um, it's not gonna be quite as good as having a baseline, but a few years ago, researchers at the University of Buffalo um, started looking at how physical exertion may be an indicator of recovery. Um, and because concussion affects your autonomic nervous system and because it affects your blood flow, these researchers found that exerting somebody, putting them on a treadmill and slowly ramping up their heart rate 
could provoke a rise in concussion symptoms. So even if you're you know, feeling better, what we always do at CCMI clinics is we put you on a treadmill and we'll ramp up to see, you know, are you safe to start returning to, to sport? Um, and I'm just going to read a quote here from a Darling study in 2014. And he said, using the Buffalo concussion treadmill test, if the athlete is able to exercise without symptom exacerbation, then the individual can be deemed to be physiologically recovered and can begin graduated return to play, which is non-contact practice, returning back into non-contact. So the way that returning to sport is after your initial kind of you know um, rest, take it easy phase, then you're going to do a treadmill test, then you're going to then go back into non-contact activities for a few practices, and then eventually you're going to get cleared for full contact and then into full game play. Um, so, uh, if symptoms are exacerbated, then the test is stopped before peak exertion and the athlete requires more recovery time. And these are people that are asymptomatic and we're putting them through this and now they're having symptoms, right? So even though they feel better, testing them is holding them back and making sure we're making the right decision. So if your healthcare professional is not putting you through some sort of physical exertion testing, that's a clear indication that you are in the wrong place. And this person is not really managing it how it should be managed because they have to determine whether or not uh, things have recovered. So that's the return to non-contact practice. What about returning to full contact. What do we do at that stage? Well, studies have demonstrated the most sensitive way to determine recovery from sports-related concussion is not only by doing a baseline retest and comparing it to your pre-injury metrics and everything else, but the strongest evidence indicates um, uh, that having an exertional test done prior to that can increase the sensitivity of those tests. So it's not good enough just to have the baseline retest, but you should also have a physical exertion component done prior to that because it increases the sensitivity of those testing metrics. So it may pick up subtleties that would otherwise be missed in a resting state. So according to a systematic review done in 2017, the strongest evidence indicates that exertional assessments can provide important insight about concussion recovery and should be administered using symptoms as a guide. So that's during this, the exertional component. In 2012, McGrath et al. tested athletes on the impact neurocognitive test uh, both at rest and following physical exertion and found that 27.7% of concussed athletes, so almost 30% of concussed athletes who were completely symptom-free and had returned to their baseline neurocognitive function in a resting state actually failed it after doing exertion. So 30%. So that means that 30% of the time, if you're just doing your baseline neurocognitive test and it shows that you've recovered, 30% of the time you may not be, right? So this is why we have to incorporate some physical exertion testing prior to doing that to increase the sensitivity. Um, their conclusion of that was clinicians return to play evaluation protocols should include post-exertional computerized neurocognitive testing. Similarly, Zaring in 2015 found that 28% of athletes, basically the same numbers, 28% of athletes who had initially passed impact testing at rest failed at least one component following exertion. More recently, Sicard et al. in 2018 concluded that use of a sensitive cognitive test combined with physical exertion can prevent 
premature return to play in identifying athletes who would have otherwise received medical clearance. So doing this type of stuff, creating more objectivity to your decision is really how this stuff should be done. You all right there? Yeah. All good? Um, so what do we use to test athletes in this stage? Well, the Buffalo Concussion Treadmill Test is great for determining somebody's readiness to return to non-contact practice or just exercise in general. And the reason why we don't use it for return to full contact or in our medical clearance state is because it's only done in one plane. You're only moving forward. But most sports are dynamic. You're moving around. It challenges your vestibular system, your ocular motor system, and it fluctuates your heart rate. The Buffalo treadmill test is a consistent and just gradually increasing aerobic exercise protocol. But sports are often not just generally aerobic. You're not just running in one place for an extended period of time unless you're a marathoner, in which case it's a low risk sport anyway, so we wouldn't need to do all this. But in high risk sports that are more dynamic like lacrosse, rugby, football, uh, hockey, soccer, etc., you're moving around. You're doing all sorts of different stuff and the demands on the athlete are a lot greater than just going forward in a steady state cardio-based way. So um, the medical staff of the Chicago Blackhawks developed the Chicago Blackhawks test, otherwise known as the Gapsky-Goodman test. And this is by their uh, head athletic uh, trainer as well as their strength and conditioning coach developed this test. And they utilize it as part of their return to play protocol for concussed athletes. And Fortunately, a few years ago, they gave that information to us and we started using that as part of our return to play process for all athletes so that we could have a more dynamic, sport-specific return to play physical exertion test. And the, what the Blackhawks test is, or the Gapsky-Goodman test, is it starts off with the bike protocol and it starts out, there's a couple hill climbs you have to do first, so that's more of a warm-up. Then you do sprints, so it goes heart rate up, heart rate down, heart rate up, heart rate down, heart rate up, heart rate down, which would mimic sprinting in soccer or uh, you know, running a play in football because your heart rate will go way up and then it'll drop down. That's often more difficult for your nervous system to handle because of the fluctuations. So even though you may have passed the Buffalo treadmill test, doing all those fluctuations, you may actually fail the Blackhawks test a few days later. And this is actually what we found. So after they do the bike protocol with all the sprints and things like that, then there's a plyometric portion. So they're doing things like burpees and box jumps and all sorts of different jumping and twisting and rotations to try and challenge the athlete to the brink in all of these different things to see if there's any subtleties that are remaining. So that is how the test goes. And what we did in our system, because we have uh, probably the largest concussion database in the world because it's connected through 350 clinics all over the world, we did a large study looking at the data of how many athletes come in and are fully asymptomatic and they've passed the Buffalo concussion treadmill test and they've gone back to practice. They've done two non-contact practices. They're fully asymptomatic. They're back to all school, everything. They come back in, we run them through the Chicago Blackhawks test. We found that 15% of athletes were actually failing the Blackhawks test. So this is 15% of people that would have been cleared in any other scenario if they were going to any other you know, healthcare professional that wasn't putting them through this type of testing. So we're holding back 15% of people from being cleared too soon just on the Blackhawks test. 
Then, of the 85% of people who pass the Blackhawks test, 30% of those will fail one or more elements of their pre-injury baseline test. So that means just by including physical exertion testing and having a good solid baseline with a bunch of different facets, we're holding back 40% of athletes that would have been cleared in any other scenario had we not done or had this information present. So, in closing, not just any old healthcare professional will do, you need one who has training. It's best to have a comprehensive baseline test done prior to the season, and the best way to do that is to do that testing post-injury after all the symptoms have gone away and after physical exertion testing has taken place. Um, one thing to clear up is that baseline testing is often pitched to people as a way to make the diagnosis. Oh, if you have a baseline test, that way we know you've had a concussion. Oftentimes, you don't need a baseline test to make a diagnosis of concussion because the person will have symptoms of concussion and then it's easy. When a baseline test becomes valuable is after the symptoms have gone away and the patient feels better, how are you going to then determine whether or not you they've achieved functional recovery or physiologic recovery when you don't have any information to go on? One way to do that is physical exertion testing and you'll pick up at least the 15%. But if you have other objective measures, you could pick up the other 30% and potentially save 40% of people from returning to sport too soon, which is really, I think, the biggest problem with concussion, right? A single concussion is not necessarily the issue. The dangers of concussion are the secondary concussions and the third concussions that are happening in a too short period of time. And this is the whole purpose behind Rowan's Law. It's ensuring appropriate management, appropriate recovery, appropriate return to sport protocols. But it's still problematic that most of the time those protocols are simply relying on symptoms that are self-reported by a highly motivated 12-year-old that wants to get back and play because they have a tournament this weekend, right? So we need, to, we need to be better and there's ways we can do better. The Brain Injury Association of America has a nice summary of baseline testing. I'm going to read it for you now just so you understand kind of the nuances here. Baseline testing is a useful tool in helping healthcare professionals to determine if an athlete has experienced a concussion during play. Sometimes, right? I told you it's not really for diagnosis. It is intended to be done at the beginning of the sports season and provides information in a variety of areas such as thinking skills and physical abilities. Should an athlete be suspected of having sustained a concussion during play, then the first rule is to remove the player from all play, right? Hit, stop, sit. That's the Rowan's Law thing. Uh, the next step is to get an evaluation from a healthcare professional trained in concussion management, right? Not just going to your family doctor if they don't really know anything about it. It's finding a healthcare professional, and this could be any type. This may be a physio, maybe a chiro, maybe a physician, maybe sports medicine. It can be a number of different healthcare professionals, but the big thing is, do they have training and experience in concussion specifically? Because it's very nuanced. A lot of times this stuff is, is self-taught. It's a lot of times people are taking additional training beyond medical school. So it's not necessarily the credentials of the individual, it's what type of training and experience do they have in concussion specifically. So seek out the right care. If it is determined that the athlete has sustained a concussion, then the plan of recovery should be identified. Once the symptoms of concussion have resolved, 
Then the baseline testing can be used to determine if the athlete has fully recovered. Use of preseason baseline testing information is not effective for use during sporting events. The player suspected of having concussion must be removed from play and subsequently evaluated on the baseline test. Unfortunately, baseline testing is not universally done in all sports programs. So there you have it. So a way to make those test results even more sensitive, which is not covered here, is to include physical exertion testing prior to that. And that's really how we should be managing concussion. Like I said, if you have the baseline test and you're doing physical exertion, you can potentially hold back up to 40% of athletes that otherwise would have been cleared. If you don't have the baseline, at least you can run the physical exertion testing and hold back 15%. The Gapsky-Goodman test was published in the Physician and Sports Medicine a few uh, years back. We also go into it as part of our comprehensive training program for healthcare professionals. Uh, so if you're interested in learning more about that course or more about how to better manage your athletes, go to uh, completeconcussions.com and click on the clinic certification program and um, you'll be able to kind of learn all about that and join our network of over 350 clinics around the world. So in summary, Current medical management is in inadequate in most scenarios. If you're not undergoing any type of exertion testing, then you are in the wrong place. Return to play decisions are best made with sport-specific and challenging physical exertion, followed by a comprehensive baseline retest. If you don't have a baseline to compare to, uh, at least do the physical exertion. Questions? Nothing related to the topic. <laughs> All right. Maybe we'll put them in for next episodes or something like that. Okay. All right, guys. Cheers. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Just one more thing before you go. Are you suffering from concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussion.com slash find dash a dash clinic to find all the local professionally trained concussion rehab individuals in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, management, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation. Uh, they're going to work with you to try and find the root cause of your symptoms and then develop a treatment plan and approach to help get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving the symptoms, you can't ever help or hope to fix them. CompleteConcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and have a higher net promoter score than Amazon, Apple, and Netflix. CompleteConcussions.com slash find a clinic. You will not regret it. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.